Okay, well, you're going to need your Bibles, so turn or click to Colossians chapter 1 as we start a new book of the Bible. We'll finish this one before Christmas. Colossians is a four-chapter book, and I'll go into the uh, information here about it in a moment. It's a great, powerful book. We titled this series through the book of Colossians, Riches in Christ, because you're going to learn the riches of what we have in Christ as we go through this series. And then today's teaching, as we get started in chapter 1, is really, I titled this one, Visible Faith. And you'll understand more as we get into it about visible faith. Well, let me give you the background for the book of uh, Colossians. It was written to, by Paul. He's in prison in Rome, just like the other books that we've been reading and studying, like in uh, Philippians and in Ephesians. So he's writing from Rome to this church. He never, was, he never visited this church. He didn't start this church. It was in uh, Asia Minor, which is today modern-day Turkey. You look at on the map here, you'll see where, where uh, Colossae is at. It's uh, about 100 miles to the east of Ephesus, so that's kind of southern Turkey. Uh, my wife and I had the opportunity of going to this places of the seven churches in the book of Revelation back in 2006. We got to Colossae, because that's not one of the seven churches, but we went there because it's right next to Laodicea, which is... And all Colossae is today, there was a sign on the road that said, this is where Colossae used to be. <laughs> it's just a mound. It had been destroyed by an earthquake, and there's nothing there, no houses, nobody there. It's just a ruins covered by dirt and trees growing on it and everything. But it's right next to Laodicea and Hierapolis. Hierapolis is really interesting because there, you could, you could uh, Google the pictures of Hierapolis. You'd think there was like snow on these mountains because... The way that the water it was real rich in minerals, and as the water would go down the mountains and then it would evaporate, all these minerals would be deposited pure white, and it would be like all these, these hillsides, all pure white. You can see it from quite a distance. But that's the area. Uh, Colossae was started by a, a church planter that Paul was with in Ephesus. His name was Epaphras. We're going to read about him for just not much about him, but he was the pastor. He was with Paul in Ephesus, and then he went over to Colossae and started a church in Laodicea and Colossae. So he, Epaphras, he went back to Rome to see Paul, and he brought news about what was going on in Colossae. And Paul's like, oh, i got to write a letter to these people. There was a heresy taking place in Colossae. It was actually called the, the Colossian heresy. And there was two parts to this heresy. One was that Judaizers came in, and they said, oh, that's fine. You've accepted Jesus Christ. You've become born again. Okay, you've got Jesus as your Messiah. But you now have to also follow all of the Jewish laws. And there were 613 of them. So it was like you had to take Jesus plus all the Jewish laws. Now, we know that's not the case. But that was the Judaizers. So they were coming in there trying to, you know, uh, upset this church. Then there was another group of people. They called them the Gnostics. Gnosticism was a belief, and I'll, I'll just try to briefly explain it, what Gnosticism was, and it was infiltrating in different churches. It was a belief that, that there's a secret knowledge. Oh, we have the secret knowledge. And if you really want to know God, you have to, you have, to have it be revealed to you and part of this secret knowledge was everything in the material world, including our bodies, is evil. But the spiritual side, the part you can't see, is good. So how would they use this to their advantage is what 
they could sin with their body. They could be involved in all kinds of sexual sin and say, well, that, that's not a big deal because it doesn't affect the spiritual side because that's, that's the inside part. So they separated the in from the out, and they had like, they could, they could do anything like outwardly, and they said, well, that's just because our bodies are evil. And so they would really have that separation, which again was, was not a correct belief. I mean, God wants to redeem us body, soul, and spirit. And so it wasn't just like this separation, but that was part of the Gnosticism. So here's the outline for the book of Colossians. And this is a little memory aid for you. Colossians starts with what letter? C. So the outline all has C words. Chapter 1 is all about Christ. We'll read some of that today, and we'll get more into it next week. It's about Christ. Chapter 2 is about the cults. Chapter 3 and 4 is about Christians. How do we live as Christ followers? So you have Christ, the cults, and the Christians. And that's the outline, kind of on a high level of the book of Colossians. So let's get started. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. See, he did not become an apostle on his own. Remember, he was called on the road to Damascus. An apostle, what an apostle was, I know sometimes people call themselves apostles today. I would call them a little a. These are the big A apostles. What an apostle was, they were somebody who was called directly by Jesus and sent out with the gospel. We know the disciples were that, and Paul was because Jesus called them on that road to on Damascus. So Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Timothy was his protege. He was mentoring Timothy. Timothy was not an apostle, so you never see him called an apostle. But he was somebody that Paul was pouring into. Likely, as the Holy Spirit was inspiring Paul to write these letters that we know are, are Scripture, I don't know if Paul knew that at the time, but the Holy Spirit's in, inspiring Paul with the words, Timothy may have been the scribe writing it down. And so that's likely what happened. We know from other passages in Scripture, Paul had some pretty bad eyesight, and so Timothy may have been the scribe here. So Paul and Timothy, verse 2, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. So Paul identifies, first of all, himself as the author. In biblical times, when you wrote a letter, you, you put who it was from at the beginning. It was interesting. If you wrote formal letters today, you'd, put, you'd sign it and put your name at the end, right? It's kind of almost because like with email systems now, you see at the beginning of a letter who it's from. In those days, they would put the beginning of who it was from, who it was for, and, and this was for the Christians in Colossae, and so um, this is the beginning. And then you see Paul identified, just like he does other letters, grace and peace, and he always puts grace before peace, because if you really want the peace of the Lord, you've got to have his grace. His peace flows from his grace, and these were also common greetings of the Gentiles and the Jewish people. Verse 3. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people. Right there in verse 4 is why I came up with the title, Visible Faith. You see right there, Paul saying, I thank the Lord for you when I pray for you because we've heard of your faith. Do people hear of your faith? Or is your faith so private that nobody even knows you're a Christian? Are you a closet Christian? 
It's time to come out of the closet if you're a closet Christian. It's time for us to have visible faith. Amen? And how do we have visible faith? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. See, I know, I remember um, in my grandparents' uh, era, it was like, oh, there's two things you never talk about. Religion and politics. Well, it's very different today, isn't it? But it was such a private thing to people. It's not according to Scripture. Our Christianity isn't to be some private little thing that nobody knows about. It should be visible. And so here's the thing, and I have a question for all of us today. Is my faith visible to others? Is your faith visible to others? Can they see it? You know, if you're a born-again Christian, you know, you've accepted Jesus Christ, is it making a difference in the lives of other people, how you treat them, how you love them, the words that come out of your mouth? Is your faith visible? And I like what it says in James chapter 2, where it says this, In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is what? It's dead. See, a lot of people say they have faith, but there's no evidence of it. So it needs to be visible. It needs to be something. And I was like, uh, you know, today, many times people do visible things. And I was, I was thinking of this when, uh, when we first moved. This will jog some of your memories. We moved here in the year 2000. And for the first few years of living here, there was a car driving around West Melbourne. It had a big wooden cross on it, wires holding the cross up on this old car. It had a lot of God stickers all over it. And even put lights on the cross and driving it around. Anybody remember that? I don't know what happened with that guy, but he was like very visible with his faith. Sometimes people, just they use outward things like hats and T-shirts. There's nothing wrong with that. It's good. Stickers on your car. And so I got thinking about the stickers on your car. And I, by the way, I have a Calvary Chapel sticker on my car. Let me tell you, it helps you drive much better. <laughs> there are times where I'm willing to get in the flesh, and I think, oh, I got that sticker on the back. <laughs> you know, for a while, so we could get a, a cheaper insurance rate, we had this little thing that we plugged in where it would send a report to the insurance company how well we drove, and I could spy on how well my wife was doing. <laughs> you had too many hard breaks, you know. But let me tell you, more than what goes to the insurance company is I'm aware of, we're a testimony. So I, here, here's the thing. If you've got a sticker in your car, you can keep it there. It's no problem. But here's some things people will never say. These people will never say this about your Christian sticker. Okay? I got a few things. One is, don't worry, John. Those people are Christians. They must have a good reason for, good reason for driving 90 miles an hour. <laughs> They're not going to say that. Or this, oh, stay clear of those folks, Mary. If they get raptured, that car's going all over the road. (laughs) Probably not going to say that. Or here's this, no, that's not litter coming out of their windows. I bet that's gospel tracks for the road workers. (laughs) Or this one, oh, look, that Christian woman is getting a chance to share Jesus with a police officer. Just some things to make you think about, right? Okay, well, let's keep going. Verse 5. Well, I'm actually, let's back up into verse 4 just a little bit at the very end. It says, the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel. 
I think Paul's emphasizing that true message of the gospel because there was a false gospel being presented. So he wanted us to know the true message of the gospel, that it was springing up. It was affecting their lives. It was how they loved people. The faith and love that spring from the hope that they have stored up in heaven. Verse 6, that has come to you in the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it's been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. That last part there is really, I think, kind of cool because sometimes we hear the gospel, but we truly don't understand God's grace. So you think about God's grace is such an important part, and we'll talk more about that in a moment, but I go back to verse 5. It says, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven. This trio of faith, hope, and love is found throughout the Bible. And I'm just going to pick one of the verses that I'm sure you know. It's kind of interesting that these things all fit together. Look at 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And now these things remain. What do they remain? Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So I was just jotting this down. I think it's a point for us today, and that is the hope of heaven as our future home, and that comes as a result of the gospel. The hope of heaven helps us have faith and love here on earth. Because we, need, we, we know this is not our home. We are a resident of the earth, but our citizenship is in heaven. And as you have the hope of saying, someday I'm out of here, I know it will keep you from living in fear. It will keep you from having hopelessness. They're like, we're just passing through. This life is going to get tough. We go through hardships, but I have the hope of heaven. And because of that, springs forth faith and love for people here. And that's what Paul is commending these people for. And he says the gospel of grace, once you understood God's grace. And so I was also thinking about this. And look up on the screen. It's the gospel of grace through Jesus. This isn't a full list, but these are some of the big ones. The gospel of grace. And let me just say this. Grace is so much different than all religions or cults because they're all performance-based. It's what you do. Oftentimes, leaders manipulate you to do all these different things, usually for, like, for self-gain. But in true Christianity, it's all based on what God did for us. It's what Jesus did, and it's a gift for us. And so actually, we serve him because we want to, not because we have to. We, and so here's some of the things that God's grace through Jesus gives us. First of all, it enables us to know God. That's huge. We don't just know about God. We get to know him. You know, you, you go to other religions, they don't get to know personally their God their little g God, we get to know God. He also forgives us of all of our sins and saves us eternally or writes our names in a book of life. He gives us a new identity and purpose. Let me just stop there for a moment. We don't work for our identity. We work from our identity. We are a child of God. If you're a Christian, you're a child of God. He cannot love you any more than he already loves you. And so as a child, you have that inheritance from him, and you have that new identity, and he's given you a purpose. You're not here by accident. You're not here for yourself either. It's for the Lord. He's given us a purpose. He empowers us to be free. I, I'm sure a lot of you are like I was. I struggled with sin, addictive-type sins, before I became a believer. 
I was addicted to alcohol and certain drugs, and I just, they had control over me. But when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, things changed. Now, I'm not opposed to programs. We offer programs here at the church, and we're here to help. And many people have been helped through different programs. You know, we have a one-step program. We have Celebrate Recovery. Wonderful programs. And, and, and if you're struggling and you can't get free, go to one of these programs, one of these things to help you get free. But really, when it comes down to it, it's the power of the Holy Spirit through the gospel of Jesus to set us free from sin. And I know that firsthand. For 42 years now, I've been free of those sins. And you know what? It's not because I just have this great self-help you know, help book that I went through. It's the power of the Holy Spirit to help me. Next, he provides gifts so that we can serve God and others. Spiritual gifts that he, he's gifted every one of us in unique ways. That's why we like taking as many people as possible through the shape classes to discover how God has equipped you, how has he gifted you, so you can best use your gifts for the Lord. And then meets various needs that we have in our life. That's just some of the things that the gospel of grace that you can't earn, you don't deserve, but he gives you freely. Amen? Amen. Let's keep going. Verse 7. You learned it from Epaphras. There's their pastor. There's their guy that, that was with Paul. We know this from the book of Acts, that he was with Paul in Ephesus. But you learned it from Epaphras, our dear servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and who has told us of your love in the Spirit. So that's why we know Paul learned about this church through Epaphras, their pastor. Verse 9, for this reason... Since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. Now, let's just stop for a moment. First of all, whenever I read about Paul, I, get put, I feel like I get put to shame. Do I pray for people like this? What we're about to read is a, a prayer of Paul. It's like peeking into his prayer journal. I, don't, I won't do a show of hands, but I'm sure some of you have prayer journals. I've been doing prayer journals and journaling through the Word for probably over 20 years now. And it's fun to go back and, and look at what I was praying for in 2011 or 2016. Look and say, oh, wow, on this date I was praying for this. And you look back and see how many times God has answered our prayers, and sometimes he didn't answer it the way we wanted him to, but he did it even better. And where we grew through this or that, and sometimes we thought, oh, we we're so in despair. Well, how are you going to come through in this situation? God, and then he provides a way. But this is Paul's prayer journal. He's praying, remember, for this church in Colossae. So as we're about to read, this is what's going on. Let's start again back at verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. So this is one of the things he's praying for, know God's will. I want you to know God's will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. You know, I think that would be a great thing for us to pray, right? That we would live a life worthy of the Lord and that we would please him in every way possible. This, is, this would be a great goal for us in our prayers, that I would live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. How would we do that? Bearing fruit, let's keep going, verse 10, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. So you see the th two things going on side by side. 
You're growing in your knowledge of God. You're knowing God more and more, and you're doing good works. You're bearing fruit. Two things working together as Paul's praying for them. Now, Jesus has called us in John 15 to bear fruit. Remember, he said he is the vine, we're the branches. Apart from him, we can do nothing. He told another parable of the sower and the seed with the good soil that we'd bear fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. So he's about us bearing fruit. Now, some of us are a little fruity. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about bearing spiritual fruit. So how do we bear spiritual fruit? Well, one of the ways is we, we have to see that we have to please God. And that how, how do we then please God? How do we live this life worthy of the Lord? Well, we can please God by bearing spiritual fruit, by looking on the screen and seeing here are some of the ways we can do that. Probably most important is Know God more and live a godly life. The decisions that we make, how do we live our life? How do we speak to people? How do we treat people? Are we growing in our knowledge of God and are we living a godly life? It will help us bear uh, spiritual fruit. We'll please God that way. Also, when we lead people to Jesus. You know, he really gave us only a few commandments in the New Testament. One was to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength and love our neighbors herself. And he said then also... Go into all the nations. Go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them. That's what we're going to be doing today after this service, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we want to lead people to Jesus. We don't save anyone. He does all the saving. What we do is all the speaking, okay? And then love and worship God and be generous, that our life is all about Him, glorifying Him, that we love Him, we worship Him, we're generous back to him. He's given us so much. And then we love others by serving. This is how we can bear spiritual fruit, not just doing activities. Now, one of the things that Paul was praying for there in verse 9 was that, I pray that you would know his will. As pastors, this is one of the things we get often asked. What is the will of God for my life? Probably some of you are sitting here right now wondering, what is the will of God for my life? Well, let me just describe it this way. There's the general will of God, and then there's the specific will of God. The general will of God is found through the Scriptures. It's general for everyone. This is God's will for all of us. But then there's a specific will. Do I take this job or not? Do I marry this person or not? Do we move to this place or not? Do I buy this home or not? That's specific will. For example, specific will, you don't find that necessarily in Scripture. You can't find a page that says, go work at L3 Harris. Okay? <laughs> but you can find principles of how we do work, doing our work as unto the Lord. You know, not, not just to please man when their eyes are on us. I mean, so you can find principles, but now the general will of the Lord. I love it when Scripture is so clear when it says, and this is God's will for you. So we're going to look at some of those verses. So you know what the general will of God is. 1 Thessalonians 4.3. It is God's will, so it's so clear, that you should be sanctified. That means set apart. Set apart from the world system. Not get caught up in all the worldliness of around us. That you should be sanctified and that you should avoid sexual immorality. And just so everybody knows, sexual immorality is talking about anything sexual apart from a husband and wife coming together in marriage. Okay? Sometimes people try to misinterpret that with their own spin, usually because they're in sin. 
So avoid it. Don't even get close to it. Okay? That's God's will for you. Now, you're going to hear in a moment why this is so important. 1 Peter 2.15. It's God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Well, that really doesn't apply today, does it? Do we have foolish people talking today? Put that one on your social media, right? No, see, it's God's will. that. Are we supposed to just get in arguments with people? No. How are we supposed to silence them? By just doing good. You know, even Jesus taught this. He said wisdom will be proved right by its actions. We just do what we're doing. We just, by us doing good, we will silence the talk of ignorant people because there are people that are out there that are just always saying this or that, and they think they have a little bit of information, and they, they think they know all the different stuff going on. Do they really? Next, Ephesians 5.17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And this, we're not going to look at all these verses, but there's two big things in Ephesians 5, what the Lord's will is. First of all, that we be wise with our time. He told us that in verses 15 and 16. And that we be filled with the Holy Spirit in verses 18 and 20. Again, part of God's will for us is to be wise with our time and be full of spirit. He said, don't be drunk with wine. Instead, be filled with spirit in verse 18. And the last one is 1 Thessalonians 5 where it says... There's three things here. Rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It's pretty clear, isn't it? If you were to take those four passages and then break them all apart, because some of them had multiple things in each one, there's a lot of God's general will in those verses. Now, why is that so important? Many times, People are struggling to want to know what is God's specific will for my life, but they're not obeying his general will. And in Romans 12, it talks about renewing your mind, and then you will know what the will of God is. As we begin to change, as we begin to obey, as we start to do his general will, we'll have a much easier time knowing his specific will. But oftentimes people want to know all these specific things, but they don't want to obey all the other things that he's already spoken. Does that make sense? So we have to be very careful. Like, are we living what he's already asked us to do? Or are we looking for some new special thing? This is how I really believe God wants us to do. Focus on what he's already told us. It's so clear. And then he has no problem in guiding us with those specific things for our lives. Now, let's keep going. Verse 11. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. Here's another thing Paul's praying for, that we would be strengthened with his power in our, so we'd have great endurance. When do you need great endurance and patience? When things are going bad or good? When things are going bad, when you're going through a hardship, that's when you need the Lord's strength. So here's our next point. Pray for God's strength so we can endure hardships. I'm about to get real personal with you. And I'm just going to set the stage with you. Last weekend was an incredible weekend. Michael Jr. here. I want to share this. Across our campuses, we had over 250 people make a profession of faith for Jesus Christ. Over 250 last weekend. I've been here for uh, 22 years. I've never seen that type of response from people. It was incredible. 
So that was Sunday and Saturday, or no, Sunday. And it was like, I was floating. I was like so on a cloud, you know. I was like, wow, this is just amazing what God's doing. Monday morning early, our daughter, Christy, and her husband, David, David Palmazano, you know him. He's up here teaching from time. He's one of our pastors. And their kids were in Italy. They were doing ministry there. They were doing vacation. And we find out Monday morning early, she's got a medical emergency. It's life-threatening, and she's going into the hospital in Italy. We were like praying. We didn't know exactly what's going on. They were getting mixed signals. It was, it was a dire situation. And she spent five days in the hospital there in Italy, and uh, they flew back last night. In fact, they're in the service right now. And, uh, but it was, it was like, man, all of a sudden this hardship hit just like that. And it was like, man, we're just praying. We're telling other people they're praying, our community group. We're praying. Others are knowing. And it's like, oh, we, we need God's help in this situation. We need his strength. And let me tell you something. I went from up here to down here really, really quick. I was like, wow, how can this be? Tuesday morning, I call my mom to give her the latest update on Christy. And my mom says, I can't really talk right now. Dad's taking me to the ER. And then my mom goes in the hospital for three days. It was like, this is all like, what's going on here? There was a couple other things that happened I don't even know even get into. But it was a tough week. It's one of those weeks like, I didn't sign up for this. How am I going to get up there and share God's word with faith, build you all up, encourage you when I need encouragement? But you know what? That's exactly right. It's the Lord who gave me the strength as we pray and as people are praying. And let me tell you, how does God strengthen us? Think about this. How does God strengthen us? Through other people. And you read first, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. It says, he comforts us through other people and through their prayers. First few verses, first eight verses of first, 2 Corinthians 1 talk about that. So as people were praying for us, we felt strengthened. And I know Christy and David and their family did as well. And, and, and my mom, she got out of the hospital now. She's doing better. But it's like, this is why we pray. This is why we need that endurance. You don't know what you're going to face tomorrow. Some of you are going through a, a trial right now. And you're saying, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I know how you're going to get through it with the Lord. Because let me tell you what the opposite of endurance is. Quitting. This church has had many people over the years, and I know some of them, who were in these seats, many of them even serving, who when they ran into a hardship, they didn't turn to the Lord. They turned to other things, and they're no longer here today. I don't know where some of these people are at. Because you know what? When you go through a hardship, Satan is right there to offer you an alternative. You guys know what I'm talking about. All those all kind of alternatives out there to drown your sorrows and help you through your difficulties. Don't fall for it. God wants to be that source of strength. That's what Paul's praying for this church right here. He's saying, be strengthened so you can have great endurance and patience. Let's keep growing. Verse 12. And he's continuing his prayer, giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. See, that's the other kingdom out there, the dominion of darkness. That's what we were all part of before we became Christians. And he brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom you have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I love verse 12 where it says, 
the Father who has qualified you. Do you know God has qualified you? Now you think about it. If you go to get a loan, you're going to go buy a house, you need to get a mortgage, you're going to go get a loan, you've got to get qualified, right? Many times before people look for a home, they get pre-qualified. That's based on you, your assets, your, you know, bringing all your work records and your, your income and all that stuff, your debts, and you say, can I get qualified for this loan? But this is not something we do. Who qualified us? It says the Father qualified us through what Jesus did for us. So this is such an important aspect because many of you are still trying to qualify yourself. And you're saying, well, you know what? I'm, because of my past, I can't do this. I, I st- they still have one foot in the past, and they're trying to move with one fo- foot forward in the future, and they're stuck. That might be you today. The enemy's lying to your mind, telling you, you can't do this for the Lord. You're, you're no good for this reason or that reason. You're damaged goods. If they only knew about you, look at who's writing this. The Apostle Paul who persecuted Christians, drug him off to jail. This is the guy who's writing this. He was so set free, he's now being used mightily for the Lord. And if God can use Paul, he can use every one of us. He was a modern-day terrorist in his time. So he's qualified us. So here's here's our point. Be thankful because God has qualified us. You're not going to do it yourself. He's qualified you. He's forgiven you. He's rescued you. You're redeemed. Verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God. Let me just stop right there. You want to know what the Father's like? Look at the life of Jesus. In fact, Jesus even said it one time. He said this. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. All the image of the Father has been put into Jesus. The, quality, the, the characteristics and so forth is in the, in the image of, is in Jesus. Now, it says the firstborn of all creation. Now, some of the cults will use that wording, that firstborn of all creation. They'll say, well, see, Jesus was born. He can't be God. He was born. No, the firstborn here means a priority. In those biblical times, the firstborn meant the priority because a firstborn child had priority in the family. They had uh, certain rights. And so it's saying this Jesus had supremacy over others because of who he was. So it doesn't mean that he was born. Verse 16. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth. You know what that means? Our creator is Jesus. He's the creator. He created all things, heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. I'm going to burst some of your bubbles. Is that okay? I burst some bubbles. You're not, you're not created for yourself. Life isn't to revolve around you. Your purpose in life isn't to try to get as much happiness, gain as much wealth, and have all these different things. Your life is for Him. That's what it says right here. Let's look at it and see it so it's so clear. It says that, that uh, we were created, last part of 16, we were created through Him and for Him. We were created. So you will never find your true purpose in life if you're not living for Jesus. You'll always be unsatisfied. You'll always be discontent. You'll always come up short. Why can't I be happy? Why? I see these people, these crazy Christians, and they seem like they got everything all together, even when they're going through hard times. Why can't I have that? It's because of who we're living for. We are different. We, our purpose is to live for Him. 
That's why even in our mission statement of our church, the very first line is, we exist for the glory of God. We never want to get away from that. We don't exist for the church. We don't exist for the pastors. We exist for the glory of God. We, we, are, we are to live for him. And then verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. It shows you the supremacy of Jesus. Verse 18, for he is the head of the body, the church. So don't go negative on the church. I'm talking about any church, this church, any church. You know why? It's his body. You would never go up to a person and say, you know what? I really like your head. I don't like your body, though. <laughs> but that's what people do at times. I like Jesus. Can I just have Jesus? But I don't want anything to do with the church. I don't like the church. That's his body. And God knew ahead of time we're all imperfect people. This is not a perfect church. I'm not a perfect pastor. I'm going to make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. But he designed it that we are apart together, that we can accomplish so much more together than we can if we're all scattered around doing our own thing. This is why he designed it for us to come together. He said, don't forsake the assembling together. He wants us working together. And that's why he even told us, like, the hand can't say to the, you know, the foot, I don't need you, and the mouth, and all that kind of stuff, because the body is to work together. He's the head, though. He is the beginning, it says, and the firstborn from the dead. That just means that he was the first person to rise, to resurrect, to never die again. You know, Lazarus resurrected before Jesus did, but Lazarus died again. And so did everybody else that Jesus rose from the dead. He was the first one to be resurrected and to never die. And so, so, so that in, in everything, he might have supremacy. See, that's why chapter 1 is so much about Jesus here. He's the supreme one. He is the image of God. He is the head of the church. He's the firstborn from the dead. For God was pleased, verse 19, to, ha to have all his fullness dwell in him. How much? All. Jesus was not half man, half God. He was fully God and fully man. All the fullness of God dwelt in Jesus. And through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. How are you and I reconciled? In other words, we were enemies of God. There's holy God, sinful us. By Jesus' shed blood for us, we were reconciled. We were made one. We were back in good terms again. But we weren't before. But when he, Jesus sees us, he sees us. I mean, when God sees us, he sees us forgiven through the blood of Jesus that makes us reconciled. Verse 21. Once you were alienated from God. That's what I'm saying. All of us. Before we came to Christ, we were alienated from God. We were at odds with God. And we were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Why don't people want to come to God? Nobody wants to go to hell. Now, they try to explain it away. Oh, maybe that's just, you know. But you know what it comes down to? Most people... Do not reject God, reject the gospel because of they can't believe it. It's this right here, evil behavior. I know this firsthand. I struggled with accepting Jesus for two years because I knew I was going to have to change my life. And I kept thinking, oh, I'm going to have a miserable life. If I, if I do like what these Christians are doing and I have to give up all this stuff, I'm, it's going to be boring. I'm not going to be going to all these parties. It's just the opposite. 
I found true life in Christ. And I know many of you, that's what you found, right? Yeah. Did some of you think that once you gave your life to Christ, your life would probably be miserable? Not fun? See, we're now in harmony with our Creator. So if you don't have Christ and you're trying to find satisfaction in life, apart from Christ, you're always going to come up short. And you can try, and you can try, and you can try, and you're going to say, I'm always missing something. I always need something more. And in a relationship with Christ, we can have that contentment. We can have that satisfaction in knowing that I'm good with my Creator. I'm no longer enemies. So let's go back to that. Verse 21, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now, see, this is now for all of us, but now he's reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. And see, that was really key for these, the ones that were teaching on Gnosticism. They didn't think Jesus really had a physical body. If he was going to be good, it had to be all spirit. You know what they thought? That if Jesus walked on the beach, he wouldn't leave footprints in the sand. He was just like a spirit being. He couldn't, be, he couldn't be good because he didn't have a real physical body. See, that's why Paul's saying this. His physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. That free from accusation should set some of you free right now. Because you know what? You've been accused, accused, accused by different people, by different, uh, by your mind, by your past. And it's like always plaguing you like, well, I did this, I did this, I have these regrets. He wants to free you from your accusations. Jesus wants to not only take your sins away, he wants to take away those thoughts of what you've done in the past and, and, and have those, like, redeemed. Now, you still have memory of it, but you can use it for his glory. So he, verse 23, as we, last verse, if you continue in your faith, establish and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel... This is the gospel you heard and that has been proclaimed in every, to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Again, the importance of the gospel, the gospel going forward. But I leave us all with this one last question, or actually a statement. Here it comes. We are either for Christ or against him. There's no middle ground here. You're either for Christ, living for him, You've committed your life to Christ, or you're still at this stage where you're alienated from him. You're against him. You're an enemy. And God has given you this opportunity, whether you're watching online or here in this service, said today is the day you can make things right. Now, I talked about visible faith. We talked about one of the ways that we have our visible faith is what Jesus instituted, and that's baptism. Today we're going to have a baptism. Some of you are getting baptized today. You brought a change of clothes. Great. I think we were way over 50 people signed up about a week ago. So I don't know how many we're going to have. There was, there was two people that got saved last night that are coming today to get baptized. In fact, I'm going to say this. Some of you are here right now, and you're saying, man, I've never gotten baptized. I know I'm supposed to. I know I'm supposed to. I know I'm supposed to. But I just have my excuses. I'm taking excuses away. We got a towel for you today. We got a T-shirt you can change into. Yeah, you're going to have to drive home in wet pants. That's okay. <laughs> but you can get baptized today because, what, now remember, baptism doesn't save you. But Jesus said, believe and be baptized. Go and make disciples and then baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is outward 
saying, I identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. When you're standing, before you go under the water, it's like your old life, alienated from God. It's a picture. And when you go under the water, it's like you're dying. You're dying to yourself. And when you're under the water, it's like you were buried, just like Jesus was in that tube. And when you come out of that water, it's a picture of resurrection. It's a picture of new life. That's what baptism is all about. That's why we don't do other things. It's just like this. You know what this is? If I can get it off here. What is that? It's my wedding ring. Does this wedding ring make me married? No, but it's an outward sign saying I'm married. It's to show people I am married. Baptism saying I identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. For some of you, you need to make that step of faith. And if you're not ready today, that's fine. We'll have another one. In two, two months, we'll have another one. But take that step. Before we close in prayer, I want to give us all a challenge. I did this in other services too. Visible faith. I don't usually give you homework. You know that. Today you get some homework. This week, I want all of us, if we're a believer in Jesus Christ, and our faith is to be visible, and that's what Paul was praying and commending this church, I want us to do something that demonstrates that we have visible faith. Here's what it could look like. Invite someone that you know to church with you next week. Or uh, share your story on how you became a Christian or share the gospel with one person this week. Or, this is an easy one, you're all around people who are going through hardships, right? For one of those people that opens up and says, oh, I had a tough week, this happened this week, all you need to do is this, can I pray for you? Nobody ever says no. It's the easiest thing. They're all going to say yes, but now what, here's what they're going to think. They're going to think, hey, you're going to go home and pray for them. What you're gonna, when they say yes, you're going to put your hand on their shoulder. Yeah. And you're going to pray right for them right there. They're going to hear you pray for them. That will make a difference in someone's life. That's visible faith. Those are just some ideas for you. You can come up with your own. But here's the thing. Commit to say, one time, at least this week and the next week, I want to do something where my faith is visible. It's not like I'm showing off. It's like a real faith. Remember, faith without works, without action is dead. If you have real faith, let it come out of you. Amen? Amen. So let's close in prayer. Father God, we just thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenges that you've given to us. And Oh, Jesus, we just thank you so much for the riches that are found in you, that you are truly God. You're our creator, and we are living for you. And I just pray right now that we would take this challenge for all of us who are believers, and we would step out of faith this week, and that we would do something to show our love for other people. Just like the church at Colossae, they had faith, and they were demonstrating it through their love for people because they had that hope of knowing their home is in heaven. And while heads are bowed and eyes are closed... If you're here today and you say, yeah, I'm not there yet. I have not given my life fully over to Jesus or I'm not fully living for God. I need to recommit. I need to get back to where I'm at. I need to start back on that faith journey. Well, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If that's you today, as an act of visible faith, would you raise your hand up and let me just pray with you in your seat right now today? Okay, okay. Others of you, okay, okay. Looking across the bottom first. Okay, good. You're making this commitment to God, but this act of faith is raising your hand up. Okay, good. 
about in the balcony? Scan across the balcony. Okay, good. Okay, now here's what I'm trusting. If you're raising your hand, you're meaning in business with God and you're ready to pray. It's not about magic words. It's about the meaning of this prayer in your heart. You're praying to God, but I'm just going to guide you in this prayer. So just pray this prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus. And Jesus, thank you for going to the cross to die for my sins and that you rose on the third day. I put my faith and trust in you, Jesus, to forgive me of all my sins. Send your Holy Spirit to come live in me because I want to follow you from this day forward. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Can we give a hand to those that just prayed that prayer? Awesome, awesome. Would you stand as we're going to close in a worship song and I'll give you a few instructions before we dismiss. For those of you sticking around for the baptism or you want to get baptized and maybe you didn't bring a change of clothes, but you're willing to go in your pants and a t-shirt that we can give you in a towel, uh, right out here, we're going to be starting at around 1230 out in our playground. I encourage a lot of you to go out there and just uh, go out there and see the beautiful playground that we have, but more importantly, to see people getting baptized. It's going to be a special occasion. And uh, if you are new here, we're so glad that you came. Uh, we'd love to meet you, give you some information about the church. We have our uh, information center. It's a ring out in our commons, just out here to my right. Just make your way out there. We'll have some people out there be glad to uh, just meet you and answer questions. If you have prayer for any needs, and I'm going to encourage those of you that raise your hands, come down front. Let us know. Part of the visible faith is taking that step of faith, saying, I was one of those people that prayed. I accepted Jesus Christ. We'd love just to congratulate you, give you some information to help you in your walk with the Lord, give you a Bible if you need one. But uh, we just want to uh, just love up on you up here. And lastly, as you're leaving, just a reminder of our boxes by the doors for your giving of your tithes and offerings to the work of the Lord here. Thank you, because giving is another way we worship the Lord. And uh, obviously you can give online, but I uh, want to just uh, thank you for your generosity here and, and helping us be able to do what, what we're doing here. So God bless you and have a great rest of your day.